G'day and once again, welcome back to the podcast. Today is Saturday, 7th of December, 1946. In case you are keeping track of it, it's been 256 days or 8 months and 11 days since Bette departed her hometown of Sydney on this extraordinary China adventure. Back in her hometown of Sydney, today's Sydney Morning Herald reports a freak storm yesterday wrecked part of the township of D.Y. West. Two men died due to vagaries in the weather. As usual, there's a strike threat. Wharf labourers are considering a general strike to enforce their demands for 14 days annual leave. New South Wales hotels are not hotels at all, but glorified beer palaces, the Minister for Immigration and Tourist Activities, Mr Evett, said. In Rabaul, New Guinea, 243 Japanese have been sentenced to death or imprisonment by the Australian War Crimes Commission. And a major front-page story, which reminds us that the lingering after-effects of World War II are still affecting the people of Sydney. Fewer coupons for suits and overcoats, a revised clothing scale. Coupon ratings have been reduced for men's woolen suits, overcoats and shorts, the chairman of the Rationing Commission, Mr A.W. Coles, announced last night. The ratings for lined dressing gowns, beach wraps and beach coats have been increased. Changes in the clothing coupon scale will operate on and after Monday when new ration cards to be issued today and tomorrow can be used. There is no change of the food rationing scale. And Sydney is experiencing a heat wave. Yesterday's maximum temperature in Sydney was 93.4 degrees Fahrenheit at 2.30pm. The rise was accompanied by an unpleasant amount of humidity. Today's weather, a mild to warm day, cool with isolated thunderstorms at night. Fresh squally westerly winds, slight to moderate seas. As we're about to hear from Bet, the weather is anything but warm in Nanchang. Mrs. Betty Suter, care of Unra, 370 North Suchow Road, Shanghai, 7th December 1946. Written from Nanchang, Changsi. Hello there. In view of the new postal arrangements, this is likely to be a short letter. British fleet mail no longer carries our letters for us, and that means that we now have to pay postage. As if to aggravate the position, the China Post Office decided that it was high time to revise the postal rates. China doesn't bother with any increases in the nature of 10% or 5% or 15% or anything decent like that. Oh no, nothing less than a 100% increase. And in this instance, they thought that a 500% increase on letters and 750% increase on parcels was a good fair sum. So that's how it is. When I last wrote, it was probably still hot. My letter no doubt bore signs of the dripping sweat. This time, it is all I can do to make my fingers move on the keys. We are in the middle of winter and wearing all the clothes that we possess. One jumper on top of another, and then another, and then a couple of cardigans, before we put on our top coat, scarves, etc. What a country, what a climate, 
white frosts on the ground in the morning and snow tipped for next week or in about 10 days' time. The whole of January remains about 10 below zero. The bright prospect in all this is that we will almost certainly have a white Christmas. And how I look forward to that experience. Did I mention that we've taken over another building now for use as our office? The other three buildings back in the compound are now used exclusively for residence and recreation. This arrangement means that we have a 10-minute walk to our office, and I must say that I rather enjoy it. It is, of course, bitingly cold, but freshening. This afternoon, Marge Block and I are going shopping. We have decided to give each other a Chinese scroll for Christmas, and further that we shall each choose our own present, picking the one that we like. We are going to have the Christmas message written on the scroll in Chinese. That is the main job of the afternoon. Then I have to collect my skirt from the tailor, who has let it out for me. Yes, that's how it is, though I still blame the shrinkage on the dry cleaning. And Marge is to pick up some bracelets that she has ordered in Silver Street. Then we will visit the grass linen shop and each buy some lengths to take home. Cloth here is sold by the foot, but a Chinese foot is about 13 and a half inches. The cloth is about 30 inches wide and the price of grass linen at this time of the year is only about one and six per yard, our yard. And they have some of the loveliest patterns. Makes your mouth water, doesn't it? The disadvantages are that you cannot take lengths of it out of the country and further that it is hard to tell whether the colours of any particular piece are fast because there are no rules about it and many different things are used for dyes. I chuckle to think of them ever introducing a coupon system in China. It just couldn't happen. We don't know how we will get the goods home. Might have to make them into bedspreads or curtains or something like that, just as long as they are not simply cloth lengths. If I have any money left, I will look at the silk shops too. The silks and satins are perfectly lovely and not so very expensive. The colours are good, white and black always being the most expensive and hardest to find. One Chinese foot costs about 3,000 Chinese dollars, which equals about three and six, making a yard about nine and six, and no coupons. Silk is not a prohibited export, therefore I expect to have a few lengths tucked away in my luggage. Shopping in Nanshang is quite an adventure. Fortunately, though, the people are getting used to us, and instead of having a crowd of a hundred or more curious persons pressing on our heels and following us everywhere. We now only have a cortege of a dozen or so. Whenever we pause, though, or enter a shop and start buying, a bigger crowd gathers and stares. Marge and I usually shop together. It is not much fun on your own. Neither of us know too much Chinese, so our efforts to make ourselves understood resolve themselves into miniature vaudeville with a few peculiar words and phrases of the local dialect 
popping in here and there. If we can't ask for what we want, then we calmly walk in behind the counters, search among the shelves for ourselves, and, if we can't find what we want, walk straight out again. <laughs> Often, with never a word to the poor shopkeeper, but they don't seem to mind. Incidentally, I shudder to think what will happen to us back home if we start the recognised Chinese style of bargaining. At first, it sounded to me like libel. When the storekeeper gives you a price, you look at him severely, raise your eyebrows, indicate that he is an absolute robber and a rogue, and that the price is Tai Gui, far too high, and that no reasonable, respectable citizen would ever think of asking such an exorbitant amount of money for such an article. Then you pick out all the bad points of what you were so anxious to buy. You say that there are flaws in the cloth, that it is coarsely woven, dirty beyond all reason, etc., etc. Then the vendor says that since you are a charming customer and since he would like to have continued custom from you, he will reduce the price by, say, 20%. Then you look at him in the manner of, really, Mr. X, is that the most you can offer? You are still the most arrant thief and rogue in the town, and your prices are still beyond all reason. Just look at those faults in the cloth. Whereupon, he asks you to state your price. You state 50% of what he said originally. He says, ah, no, 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 and starts to put the roll away. You start to leave the shop, but slowly. He, as he lifts the roll from the counter, comments on it being a ding hao piece of cloth, and that if you will say good words for his shop, he will come down another 15%, just as a special concession for you. That is the stage when you smile condescendingly and say, how, ho, 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 and fish for your money. You all knew that you would end up by paying about 60 to 65% of the original price anyway, but that is the custom. And you can't keep face unless you are prepared to give all this time to your buying. What fools they think we are when we pay the price they ask. And also, they despise us in such a case for depriving them of the joy of their bargaining. Whether it is a piece of fish, a yard of satin, a silver teaspoon, or a catty of peanuts, the routine is always the same. So much for shopping. I look forward to the afternoon's fun. I heard of the village marriage custom recently. They say that it is now being changed, which is a good thing, but that it is still pretty generally practised in the remoter villages. When a girl has reached the age of eight or nine years, her parents consider that it is time for a husband to be found for her. It may be a newborn boy baby or only a two- or three-year-old. Mostly, the prospective husband is a very small infant and almost always younger than the girl. The parents make the decision, and the girl is then taken to the home of the boy's parents, and she spends the rest of her life there. Until the boy has reached the age of 18 or 20, the girl acts as maid servant in his parents' home. She has to be brought up 
in the ways and habits of her future husband so that she can properly look after him when he gets his own home. At the time when the boy's parents, the girl parents having already given up all claim or interest in the girl, think that the boy should marry, he simply says to the girl, you are now my wife and they may go to a house of their own or continue to live now as man and wife in the home of his parents. That's all there is to it. We are, of course, making some plans for the celebration of Christmas. There are not too many Christians among the Chinese people here, but we are going to observe our own holidays in our own manner and will invite those of our Chinese friends whom we wish to join with us, whether they understand the meaning of the occasion or not. One of the highlights will be a Christmas tree and Father Christmas on the afternoon of the 25th for the servants and their many children. We have a brawny Scotsman who has been selected for the beneficent gentleman and I'm sure that he is exceptionally well fitted for the part. My part in the plan is to ensure the purchase of suitable and sufficient presents for the tree. Each child must get a good and useful present in addition to some sweets and nuts etc. We have to be prepared for the carol singers too who are sure to come around at the time of the party even though it might be 10 or 12 hours later than the recognised time for carol singing. It should be quite a lot of fun. Our Christmas night dinner is to be solely for the Western Unra people here. A separate big official dinner has been planned for the entertainment of the Chinese friends, either on Boxing Night or the following Saturday night. New Year's Eve party will be held in the hostel and we can each invite anyone we want, Chinese or other so there will be plenty to keep us from getting too homesick. With the thoughts of Christmas utmost, and with the best of good wishes to you all, Merry Christmas all round. I will end this little circular. Before the first quarter of 1947 is through, I shall be home and able to tell you in person more of the tales of China, more expressively and in more detail than I am able to write them. Cheerio, and a Happy New Year to you. Love to all, Bet. P.S. Dear Mars, this may be a case of repetition, but there might be something new in it. I had a beaut mail day yesterday, including your letter of November the 3rd, which had taken more than a month to reach me. Do I really use all the Americanisms that you accuse me of? No, I'm sure I have not developed a drawl, Hank notwithstanding. There are so many Aussies here that my Australian characteristics have been well protected. I can remember acknowledging the letter with the photo of you and Kath Turnbull. I can hardly see myself in the mirror because of all the snaps sticking in around the edges. You will say, that's a good thing. Unless I can get a haircut or a perm soon, I'll be compelled to agree with you. But I must say that my skin is extra good now. Every trace of atrobin yellow has gone, and this weather seems to be good for the colour and skin tissues. That's about the best I can say for myself. Enclosing a few odd stamps and a set of the new Chinese ones unused. No, on second thought, I'll have them stuck on the envelope. They are of greater value that way, aren't they? Love and kisses, bet. P.S. Sunday 8th. Just received the ski suit from the post office and I do like it. It's just absolutely super. I'm thrilled to bits. We'll have to move the waist buttons, otherwise okay.
production credits for this episode, produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn, and the featured tune from 1946 with Christmas Plans of Foot, Christmas Island by the Andrews Sisters, featuring Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians. To spend Christmas on Christmas Island. How'd you like to spend a holiday away across the sea? How'd you like to spend Christmas on Christmas Island? How'd you like to hang your stocking on a great big coconut tree How'd you like to stay up late like the islanders do Wait for Santa to sail in with your presents in a canoe If you ever spend Christmas on Christmas Island You will Stray for every day your Christmas dreams come true. Christmas dreams come true.